This is the Common Chaos Podcast, episode 74. I'm Thomas. I'm Jaden. I'm Dakota. And I'm Matt. We're just a couple of everyday guys trying to become better versions of, of ourselves. ourselves. Welcome mm. to our conversation. Because the world is chaos. Show or feel no nervousness, anger, or other strong emotion. Complete disorder or confusion. We're not only training our, you know, our defensive mindsets. We're also working, you know, in our spiritual lives and trying to make ourselves better human beings. back to the Comic Chaos Podcast, episode 74. For the second time. For the Take second two. <laughs> so we may have just recorded the first seven minutes of this episode and forgot to plug the soundboard in, but it's okay. We're restarting now. We only lost seven minutes. Uh, how are you boys doing? Good, son. Good, good, good. Good, good, good. All right, Matt, lead us in. We're talking about Joshua today. Joshua, baby. Um, we already did a recap uh, in a summer. Straight into it. That's what I like. Yeah, absolutely. We already did a summary on Deuteronomy. Um, so I'm not going to go back through Deuteronomy like I did in take one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the first five books of Moses were obviously about Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt, walking them through the desert, getting to the promised land. Now Joshua is appointed as his successor moving forward, um, which says a lot about Moses' leadership. Because the difference between a good leader and a bad leader oftentimes is a succession plan. Because if you put something in place and you build something your entire life and then don't pass it down to somebody, then it's inevitably going to die. Absolutely. So Moses' passion for his people shows in his ability to um, pass the torch down to Joshua. Now, oh, I, I want to say on that point. Sure. On the, so uh, Joshua 1, 17 and 18. It says, just as we fully obey Moses, so we will obey you. Cool. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them, we will put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And the note that I wrote for that is the respect that they had for the successor of Moses, the man that the Lord appointed. We must look at that in our day and with the leaders that we have appointed. I just thought it was really cool, like you were saying, how... Moses Moses is gone. Joshua takes over. And the people are just like, yep, this was right. This is what was supposed to happen. Yeah. And then later on, I can't remember where it is because I don't, I don't think I noted it. But God actually... Oh, actually, I lied. Uh, Joshua 3. Yeah, Joshua 3. Uh, I have 17 highlighted, but it's in the first part of Joshua 3. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So the Lord parted the waters for a second time. He parted the Red Sea, but he parted the River Jordan. And he says, just so the people will know that you are the successor of Moses. So the people already respected Joshua and they believed that he was the leader. But God put something in place, the 
parting of the River Jordan so that the people really knew. Hmm. God reassured the people, yes, Joshua is the one. Hmm. And I, I always thought that was really cool. And I didn't know that uh, the that God parted the waters twice. And when I was reading through this, I was like, whoa, okay, I didn't know that it happened twice. So I, I feel like, because you started that whole thing with chapter 117 and 18, mm-hmm. which I also had a note on, and it was a totally different direction than that. Really? Yes. Because it, start, it starts saying, we will obey you just as we obeyed Moses and everything. And I, I, my note is, I could be wrong, but isn't it sort of ironic that they're saying they obeyed Moses and everything? Because I'm pretty sure they made him rip his hair out. Yeah. And then they say, whoever doesn't obey, which will be put to death, which probably would have been every single one of them. But you have to think... So it's, so, but it's, okay. I guess it's our ancestors. Yeah, here but, you go. Yeah. yeah. You have to think that this is the people... That God said will enter Canaan. Right. These are the kids of the people that didn't obey. Moses. Yeah, right. That's good, and, and I got that as I went on. Yeah. But like in the in the just reading at the very front of that, because that was just like the first chapter. It's like part way through the first chapter, mm-hmm. and like I didn't like really sense that right off the bat that it wasn't the same people. And I was like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you mean you obeyed Moses and everything? You got sucked. Yeah, no. These are the kids of the people that sucked, and they actually did good. So, as the Israelites head into the promised land, something that I thought was interesting was that um, they would always build memorials so they wouldn't forget where they came from. Um, in Joshua 4.6, um, they cross over, they cross over the Jordan, and in chapter 2 they say, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here. Out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm, you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge. Um, This may be a sign among you in verse 6. When your children ask in the time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan and the waters of the Jordan were cut off, that these stones shall be... For a memorial to to the children of Israel forever. They knew their own nature, constant, and they knew what they were headed into, and they knew what they were up against. They didn't want to forget what God did for them and where He brought them from, and which is exactly what they end up doing. As you continue to read through the chapter and in the yeah. Judges as well, um, but it's still cool that they did something at least. So that they wouldn't forget. Now they end up forgetting, but no, I want to. I want to <clears throat> say this. Um, this is has to do with Joshua being appointed still. Um, Four fourteen says the day that the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they stood in awe of Moses. And I wrote, God appointed Joshua and gave him authority, but the people had not yet given him the same reverence as Moses. God knew if he put Joshua, if he told Joshua to part the river, the people would know that he was truly exalted by God and could be trusted. And then this is the part that I really want to uh, harp on. God doesn't set his chosen up for failure. When he exalted you, he will provide the quote-unquote proof. Hmm. And so I, I think that it was... And this is going back on what you said. I just want to, I want to hit this point home before we move on. Mm-hmm. Um, he chose Joshua, and the people said in the chapter before this, Hey, Joshua, we will obey you the way that we obeyed Moses. But God knew, hey, they're not going to completely believe this unless I give the proof. Hmm. 
And I, I, I really like the idea of God isn't going to set his chosen up for failure. He's going to mm. set up the proof. He's going to show you. He's going to give you the way. Mm. So, so before before we get like too far advancing here, because I, I had something that I, I didn't research it because I didn't feel like it. But who, who wrote Joshua? Good question. Thomas got the study Bible. Although the author is not named, the most probable candidate is Joshua. Okay, because um, in 4.9, where he talks about the 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan, and then it says those stones are still there today. I was wondering, like, what time this was written, because, like, the, 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 the stones would still be there today. Because, like, it, like nowadays, you would read that and I'd be like, oh, dude, like, are they still there? It, it's, you know, it's, it, throughout the entire book, it says the stones are there to this right, day. And that's I, what I, I mean. So, that. like, when... Yeah, a when, lot of them are, which I'll get into. It's oh, so you got something for this. Yeah. Okay, see, that's where I was going with that. Not this one in particular, but in the future. Okay, I understand. I, I get you. That's what I was wondering. Because, like, I didn't know, like, what kind of timeline this was or who wrote it. Like, you know, like, I mean, what are the chances, like, now? I mean, this thing's been around for, like, thousands of years. Some asshole surely has gone and tried to find it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, like, at this point, like, everybody's looking for stuff like this. So, like, what are the chances they're still there? Yeah. That's why I was wondering. So, I do have one little, like fun fact about the the whole crossing the Jordan thing. Are any of you familiar with the geography of Israel? And, and like, really. like in a whole? Yeah. Uh, not particularly. Okay, so you think about the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, coming out of Egypt, and then move, moving to Israel and crossing the Jordan. I always expected that the Jordan was like at the southern edge of Israel because they were coming from Egypt. The Jordan is to the west of Israel, which means they circle all the way yes. around into yeah. like all of the current like stands, <laughs> and then came back east yeah. to go into Israel. I never realized that. Before. Yeah, it's a big old loop around. Hmm. I didn't know that. Just a fun fact. I it has nothing uh -huh. to do with theology at all, but <laughs> that's a history I, I thing, up, which I, I like. Up, like a battle map. Doesn't have to be about the theology. City conquests oh, so and cool. stuff. Yeah. And I just thought that was interesting. That is super cool. Yeah, because it's not a direct route by any means. It's like, why, why no, are they were all that? wandering in the wilderness. But, right, that's well, true. And this is why, I, this is why I'm, I'm kind of baffled, Thomas, that like, you don't find a lot of spiritual and like, um, you don't find any spiritual meaning behind a lot of this. Did he history. say that in this cut? Or no, he did not say that in this cut. In the other one. But so Th Thomas reiterate saying, it. yeah, reiterate what you said before. I read a lot of the Old Testament books, and I just see it as, like, a history lesson, basically. Like, I, I understand that there are spiritual themes, and it's very important to understand the, the history of why we need Jesus. But I guess I'm just, I've just heard the story so many times that I kind of take it for granted that other people don't know the same things that I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, keep going. But <clears throat> I see it is a history lesson, but God had to make them go through that that history has to have a meaning and it has to have a plan. So I try to find the plan beneath the history. And like from the previous episode that we recorded, Jaden talked about feeling like he's lost and in a season of change. I see the Israelites and, and I see the, the entire Torah is, is almost like a, a life cycle or a lifespan in between somebody coming out of bondage or being lost, being an unbeliever being saved, we've talked about this in previous episodes before, being saved and then reaching a holy land of peace and rest, just like the Israelites 
headed in through the promised land of milk and honey and so on. But um, <clears throat> I almost see them wondering, and it's cool that it's not a direct route or a beeline, but it's almost them wondering, like they're trying to figure themselves out from generation to generation. They're wrestling with God. They're trying to figure themselves out, wrestling with doubt, wrestling with all these other gods and all the spiritual warfare. And then they finally find themselves at the place where God was directing them this whole time. They didn't know exactly where it was, really. But God wanted them to wrestle with them. And that's where I see the spiritual meaning behind that. So, like, it's cool that, like, you recognize that type of history. Because that's something I didn't even, like, know. I never looked up a map. I don't know why. But, like, it's cool that you have that perspective and I have this perspective. We can come together. Maybe we can figure out God's meaning for all these passages, you know? Mm -hmm. Which is maybe part of the body of Christ. I don't know. But, um, and that's why we do church. Yeah, really. But regardless, um, I think it's cool that they took those stones whenever they passed the river. And I think they stacked them up. I don't know what type of, uh, I mean, I don't know what type. They, they put stones somewhere. I don't know what they did with them. But isn't it cool that now if you're on like nature preserve trails and like in Dolly Sod specifically, I remember. After you cross over a creek, you can typically see, like, a stack of stones. It's cool. Like, I wonder if that's where that came from, maybe, in some way, shape, or form. Mm, maybe. I don't know. Good point. I thought that was pretty neat. I'm like, everywhere I go, I'm going to start stacking up stones now. That's what my mom does. Neat. Really? Yeah. It's pretty cool. Just as, like, I don't know, people probably won't think about it from, like, a biblical perspective, but I think it's pretty neat <coughs> regardless. But, um, cool. So I think it's very important they put these memorials up. For their kids. And it's crazy how all through Joshua and Deuteronomy as well, they harp on the next generation of not forgetting. That's the reason that the, in, I think it's Deuteronomy, they talk about putting the scriptures on your doorposts and, and putting it on your on your wrists and on your eyelids and making sure that you, you don't forget about the scriptures and everywhere that they came from. Um, and they continue to harp on that because they know that we're human. God knows that we're human, and he knows that we need to implement habits, systems, disciplines like that, so that we don't forget about where we came from. Mm -hmm. So then, then they, they, they cross the Jordan, they get into the land, and then they just start killing. Yeah, it's like, get the word. Dude, they, it really is like, yeah. yeah. They start murdering. Mm -hmm. All right, so what, are you in chapter four still? Um, I'm heading to uh, Jericho in chapter five and six. Okay, so chapter five, one. Okay. Chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan... So they just crossed into the west side, like Thomas just said. They were at the east. They crossed over to the west side of the Jordan. Cool. Now all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard of how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. <laughs> now I think this is crazy to, to think about now don't think about it in the perspective of the israelites think about this in the perspective of you're one of the other nations i wrote imagine the fear you would feel as a nation knowing that there was an army marching towards you that has already wiped out multiple nations by the power of their god hearing the stories of how their god has let them cross rivers on dry land think about the rivers you cross every day think about the rivers in pittsburgh Think about the massive bridges that we have. And I, I wrote this while I was actually driving across a bridge in Pittsburgh. We were, we were going to Homewood to do a house. And I'm driving over a bridge and I'm looking at the water. I'm like, this is massive. 
Hmm. Like, this is a huge river. Yeah. And like, Allegheny's not even that big. <laughs> no, no. And imagine that actually parting and dry land you walk across on. Hmm. Like, it's crazy. And so I wrote, think about the rivers you cross every day and how large and vast they truly are. It's not a creek or a stream. A massive river was dried up for thousands of warriors to cross over on dry land. Like, and think about being one of those nations that this army is marching towards. That's terrifying. And these weren't even, like, proper soldiers. These are hobos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not even... I mean, yeah, hobos. They really are. Yeah. They they were homeless. They've never had a home. They were born into a, a wandering of a desert, and that's all they've had. Hmm. Ever. Okay, so then my next note is Joshua 5, 11, and 12. Yeah, that's their next. Okay, so... The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land. Unleavened bread and roasted grain. So, backstory, history. They just escaped the Egyptians. Their parents are in the wilderness for 40 years eating manna. I actually did a whole uh, message on this for the youth group the one night. But their parents are eating manna and that's it the whole time. And then they cross over the Jordan. They're now in the promised land. They are in Canaan. All they have to do is wipe out these other nations, and this it's theirs. And this night, the day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread, and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Is that, the, is that 12? The end of that is that verse twelve. Yeah, because I picked up right at thirteen through fifteen. Okay, Did so you? so I, I stopped there. So let me let me get this. Go ahead. These men had grown up eating manna. God had been providing this whole time. Now they have entered the land that God promised, and they are able to harvest the first of their new wealth. As Christians, we get very comfortable in our season, and God calls us out of that season, and we start to question God. When we get called into the next season, we start to question. God, is this right? Where do you want us to go? What's next? What are we doing? We may even get angry and resent what God is doing, but we have to look at it with fresh eyes and see that God is good. He will push you into new seasons of greater anointing and blessings. The Israelites had been in the wilderness for 40 years, and God provided for them every day of that. Now they are moving into the promised land, and God is providing just as he was before, but now it looks different. We must be ready and open for God to move in our lives even when we don't know what's going on and it feels like the whole world is spinning around us. God never stopped providing for the Israelites. It just looks different now. Now the Israelites have land where they can grow food and they can make their own provisions. Before, God was giving them manna because they were wandering in the wilderness. Now, he's providing the land. So God never stopped providing for them. It just looks different. And I, I did a message for the, for the youth on this of where just because you're in a season and you're comfortable in that season and God is providing in that season and you're good to go, moving to that next season is going to be scary. And it may seem like God is gone. But God's never gone. It just looks different. I like that. If you think about as they, and as they continue to take those cities and they take take on more territory, 
God gave them the authority to take that territory, and this is exactly what we talked about last episode. Do they have the ability is the question now. And, and you get the ability from understanding the authority and then living in the authority through obedience, I think. Um, now, that's something that the Israelites struggle with, and we all struggle with. Um, but as you think about taking some of these fortified cities of serious walls, and I, and I did a pretty extensive study on the walls of Jericho that are now being archaeologically uncovered. And it's really cool how the walls actually fell down, because there's a, a lot of skeptics that say that um, the walls of Jericho fell down um, by an earthquake, but there were two walls inside of Jericho, staggered, one a little bit higher than the other, but there were two walls separated, and there were living quarters in between the two walls, and there was the main fortified city on the inside of the walls. And if it was an earthquake, the, the walls themselves would have crumbled and would have fallen straight down, but the way that the walls fell were falling forwards so that how the walls were staggered, one a little bit higher than the other, it fell down forwards and laid a ramp down so that they could go straight up into the city. And there's no way that those walls would have fell the way that they fell if it was just through like a natural disaster or mm -hmm. something like that. Really, really cool, huh? Just through that study. And they're able to tell all that stuff through people a lot smarter than I am digging it up and <laughs> figuring it out. But it's neat because if you think about the, the walls themselves actually falling down, the spiritual warfare that had to have been going on as they marched around these cities had to be really, really intense. Yeah. And I, I can't even imagine what that would have felt like, but preparing for that... We see in Joshua 5.13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite with him, and his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him. So th this would have been, um, a lot of folks think the, the angel of the Lord or the Lord himself. It's kind of hard to say. I, nobody really knows. Um, and Joshua said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Before us, or are you against us? So he said, Not but as commander of the army of the Lord, but I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped, and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Surrendering himself to God. Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandals off of your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. He didn't even answer him. I'm just thinking, yeah, like, I love that. Like, that's what. <laughs> I, that's exactly what I thought. I said, "This dude just comes out and says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not on your side. I'm not on the other guy's side. I think this is all stupid. I, I'm in charge of God's army." And he's like, "And I don't care about your question." I think it's hysterical. Take your shoes off. I was man. like, "This is probably like extremely frightening. Probably extremely confusing." And he's, Josh was probably looking at this guy, thinking like, "I want to be that. I, I, I want to do that." He says, "Are you for it?" <laughs> Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he says, no. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what my, mine's just like, neither. I've come as the commander of the Lord's army. And it's just like, well, well all right, so then. are you or are you not? It's but, just like, no, but neither. But if you think about it, it's, it's such a stern tone preparing for like, hey, this is not a joke. I'm not here to talk with you. I'm not here to be your friend. We're here to fight. Right. Moving forward. And if you think about what was going on spiritually, like it was, it was no joke. If you could just see the spiritual warfare that was happening around that city whenever those walls fell, 
it was probably something that was pretty intense. And, and this guy all suited up in whatever he was suited in wasn't taking any prisoners. This is no joke. It's not a time to, like, talk. We're all business, you know? Yeah. Really, really cool. Just setting the tone for, like, hey, this is the first place that we're taking over now that you're in, in the promised land. We're setting the tone for taking on the rest of these cities. Let's get to work as warriors moving forward. And then really I, inspiring. I'm also just kind of curious, not that it matters at all, but, like, if this was, like, a like a physical being like that he and everyone else could see or if it was just like a like like a spirit that you know it's hard it's hard to wrap your head around it being anything other than something physical you know how like when we think about like angels in human form like was it something like that so you know the microphone. am i yeah. sorry but you know what i mean yeah. i look on here and it says i'm peeking like crazy so Does I it? yeah that's why i keep standing back from it hmm. i don't know but regardless they end up i mean they, they sent spies in to jericho um, Rahab was one of the folks that harbored mm-hmm. the spies. Another thing, is whenever they sent the spies in, um, the spies were getting found out, but Rahab hid the spies. Rahab the harlot hid the spies. Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot. Very seldom did they just call her Rahab. Yeah. She was Ra- yeah. Rahab the harlot. My, the mine says Rahab the prostitute, like yeah. over and over Everywhere. again. And it's like, why, why does... Why do they make such a clear distinction on Rahab being prostitute? But it's cool that, again, we keep coming back to this, and this is a theme now of God using imperfect people to, to do his perfect work. And archaeologically, if you study Jericho, there was a small section of towns that were not... Uh, or a small section of the of the town or the city, whatever you want to call it, that wasn't crumbled, wasn't bur- burnt to the ground, and they were ordered whenever they took the city to not overtake Rahab. She was like one that they they sort of left, um, put a garden uh, uh, like a protection piece over, so that nothing could happen to her because she vouched for the people and then. Well, the right, like the whole the whole story is whenever whenever they're getting ready to go, she's like, hey, listen, like I did this, like. Spare me and my family. And so before they left, they said, well, all right. So you get everyone that you want in your house, and you'll hang this scarlet, whatever it was, out yeah. your window. And that's how we'll know if you, you know, like, that's how we'll know, like, you kept your word. Whenever nobody knows what's happening until it's already happening. And that's how we'll know that the people that weren't here, they'll know that's your house. We'll tell them. If you see the scarlet flag out the window, don't go in there. Mm-hmm. Off limits. And then it goes on to say that, she lives in Israel from what well, it says, and she still lives in Israel today. So whenever it was written, she joined Israel. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Which I, th- so that, that's actually an interesting thing we can bring up where throughout this book, when they spare people, those people join the Israelites. Right. In one capacity or another. And so what, what's interesting to me is those people that join the Israelites, as far as I, as far as my, barely theological mind knows Gentiles weren't accepted into Christianity not at that point Jesus at all died. right not at that point so at all I'm sitting here like thinking well these people that joined the Israelites that joined their camp are they now technically Honor- honorary like, Jews like what, what? I don't understand yeah I don't understand it either I never I, did, I couldn't that is one of the only things after reading this that I tried to research and I didn't get anything yeah it's it's 
Interesting to think about. I think, I think they were just like honorary Jewish. I don't even know if so, that's even okay to say. I don't know. But. <laughs> They're honorary Jews. Um, the next the next note that I have is six eighteen and nineteen. Sure. So Joshua six eighteen and nineteen says, "But keep away from the devoted things that you will not bring your own destruction." Uh, it's just that was dyslexia all over the place. Uh, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of the Israelite, the, the camp of Israel, liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So, like, they were given clear instructions. When, you, when Jericho falls, when you take Jericho, don't touch their stuff. Burn it. And they obviously didn't do that. There, there, was, a, there was a... I think it was just one guy, actually. Yeah, it was just one guy. And he, they, 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 did do, they did do it. It was just that one guy. That one did. guy that didn't do it. And because can I say something before we continue? It, whenever they're digging up Jericho, they're... Historically, whenever one group of people would take over another group, they would take all of their plunder, they would eat all their food and all, and take all their gold and their silver. But inside of Jericho, there are um, vessels full of barley and, and wheat and food that was burnt. And they can do studies on it. So I don't know how to do it. But regardless, the, all of the um, food inside of these vessels was all burnt up. It's like... Any other people group that took that town over would, would have eat, would have eaten all their food. Why is this stuff burnt? It's just cool that we can reflect on all of these studies and all these digs that they're doing now that it proves the Bible to be true. But mm-hmm. regardless. Um, but th- just a note that I had for that is the Israelites were given clear instructions to stay away. Why is it that we always choose to disobey the simplest of commands? Like, like, even, like, related to now, why is it that we choose to disobey the simplest commands? Yeah, I don't know. Probably, I mean, I think, at least for me, it's, like, fear for whatever reason or another. Like, I don't know what the, what the hell you'd be afraid of. But, the, I mean, that's what it is for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but. I think we're just weak. The spirit yeah. is strong, the flesh is weak. Yeah. Pastor Nick said it today. Selfishness. Pride. I don't know. I wish it was that easy. The Israelites do too. So uh, my next my next note is Joshua six twenty six, and I, I thought th- this comes into this comes into play with if your research, Matt. I don't know if you found this, but it says at the time of Joshua pronounced this at the time Joshua pronounced this solemn oath: "Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations." And at the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. And I wrote, I wonder if anyone actually tried to rebuild Jericho. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, in, they did. Yeah. I don't remember who, but... In Kings. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Kings. Yep. Really? And then the verse right after that in 27, it says, And the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. That, that is like the moment where everybody that was in like even remotely the same area as Jericho just went... Oh hell! Yeah, <laughs> we're next, aren't we? The, the general pattern of BC. Yes, yeah, like every everybody, like this is where the fame spread throughout the land. It's like, oh no, like surely, surely we know what this means. It's like I can only imagine. 
That's cool. And they, after they take over those cities, um, Joshua starts getting worried. Um, I forget why he gets worried. If we read in chapter 7, somebody help me. Yeah, so that's exactly, actually exactly where I was going. Um, Joshua 7, 7 is what I have highlighted. But I was, I was reading up a little more to see why I... They, he was well, seven seven because they went into battle into the next city and they lost hmm. and Joshua wanted to that's what it was that, right yeah. okay so and that's when they discover Aiken yep. who is the guy who took stuff from Jericho yes so yeah they, so yes so Joshua yeah that's exactly what it is Joshua says alas sovereign lord why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. If we only had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan, pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe us out from the wipe us from the earth. Then what will you do for your own great name? So I read this, and they had just lost, and God was saying, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry you through it. We're going to be good. It's good to go. And then they lose. And then I read this. And what I wrote was, it almost feels like reverse psychology. He was trying to reverse psychology God. Where he was like, well, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, it, it, alas, oh, sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan to deliver us into the hand of our enemies? Yeah. Like, it feels like he was trying to reverse psychology God. Yeah. And then I'm pretty sure God then is like, dude, shut up. Yeah. Like, you got you to gotta rat in your camp. Deal with the rat. I, yeah, and I love the way that it goes about, like, God goes about it. It's like, it's like a game for him. Because mm-hmm. he's just like, in the morning, present yourself tribe by tribe. And then the tribe that the Lord selects is to come forward, clan by clan. And so he's just going to keep narrowing it down until it starts to get down yeah. from, you well, know, you got thousands of people. It's it's uh, 14 up through like 18 or whatever. Okay, so I have 10 through 12. The Lord said, this is right after Joshua reverse psychologies him. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing on your face? Israel has sinned and they have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the, the some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied, and they have put them in their own possessions. And it's just funny. He's like, dude, shut, like, shut your mouth. What are you doing? Get off the ground. Stand up. You did something wrong. Fix it. And I, I wrote, even one man can bring destruction upon the whole nation, mm-hmm. just as one compromise of your convictions can destroy your soul. Mm-hmm. It, it, and that. I was I don't know where what I was doing, but I was in it when I was writing these notes. I could I could have wrote a lot of sermons on this stuff, but one compromise of our convictions, because like you have convictions not to do things every day. One compromise starts to breed destruction of your soul, hmm. and that's terrifying. But I just I think that this is a perfect uh, example of it. One man can bring destruction on the whole nation. Yeah, it's, uh, I, th- I think that's cool, too, um, in verse 10, to read that again from my version. We must be reading from different versions. Mine says, get up, why do you lie thus on your face? Yeah, mine says, stand up, why, what are you doing on your face? Yeah, it's just, I don't know, to me that's so cool. It's like, well, the thing that I'm thinking is, if God knew that they were going to lose this battle, 
why did he let them go into the battle and lose? Now, I think it's kind of self-explanatory, but it's interesting how God allows us to experience free will to mm-hmm. on it's it's just like a like a father and a son hey son don't do that dad I'm gonna do it anyway okay go ahead and he lets them do it just so that they can get hurt to learn their lesson because sometimes if you learn lessons the hard way it's a lot harder to forget than if you learn a lesson the easy way mm-hmm. um, and we continue to see that as we read further into judges and so on but. My my uh, my next note is Joshua eight two. You got anything else in seven? No, no. Yeah, let's go on to eight. Eight is good. Okay, so eight eight two. I have you shall do to I, which is the name of a king, or the name of the land and its king, as you do as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city, and then it goes around the how they're gonna do it, but. I think I think that's really interesting where we look at the people when they took Jericho. They were like, oh my gosh, this city has plunder. It's got stuff for us to take. We're here. Why don't we take it? I don't understand. Let's just take it. And the one guy ended up taking it. And I wrote, God always provides. The people had a hard time not taking plunder for, from Jericho, but their eyes were set on what was right in front of them, not... For what God had in store for them. Mm. So this the, the land of I, AI, had more livestock, had more riches, had more than Jericho. But when we have our eyes focused on what's right in front of us and not what God had in plan, then we think Jericho is the green grass, mm. not the land of I. Mm. I? Do we like I? That's what I did. AI? I liked it. I? Yeah. It's cool because this foreshadows artificial intelligence in the future. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think I think that's like there are so many sermon series that you could do on Joshua. For it, sure. Like it just they had their eyes set on what was right in front of them. Jericho, that plunder, that harvest, they wanted to reap that one. But God had a better one waiting, and if they would have just waited, they could have got it without any trouble. Hmm. But instead they took from Jericho and then there was a bunch of they lost a battle and all kinds of stuff sometimes we need to we need to lose some battles to fully understand the victory of the to fully understand the weight of the victories that we do win which Mm -hmm. is one of the other reasons I think that like bad things happen to good people sometimes and I think can justify the reason for evil in the world Um, Mm -hmm. remember people say how can a good god let evil things happen to good people I think that that's one of the ways if that makes sense does that make sense what I just said are you following me Mm -hmm. Um, but and that I got 8, 5 through 7 is this taking over I yeah I think so Um, yeah yeah it is so 8, 5 I and all those with me will advance on the city and the men will come out against us as they did before. We will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city. For they will say, you are running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up in ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it to your hand. And the note I have for this one is, God told them that they would win. And they're going to win. 
but that doesn't mean don't have a plan. Mm. And, the, and the way I related that back to now is, like, say, with what we talked about last episode and the stuff that I'm going through, I know that God has a plan. I know that there is greater for my life, but that doesn't mean for me to not have a plan. It doesn't mean I don't take steps towards what I want just because I know that it's going to happen. I have to have the plan. I have to work it out. If the Israelites didn't have the ambush plan, it probably wouldn't have went down that easy. Yeah. So I think I think that that's I mean that's it's sermons on sermons on sermons you could write on just these eight chapters. So they end up taking I, correct? Yes. They end up taking I, um, and in Joshua 8, verse 29. And the king of I, he hung on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raise over it a great heap of stones. That remains to this day. Did you, Dakota? Mm -hmm. Um, that's not even the last time they do that and there was a discovery in in when was this 1949 the discovery of the of the sanctuary was unexpected this is translated from a French archaeologist actually in, like I said in the late 40s the discovery of the sanctuary was the unexpected result of a long and difficult labor. Situated to the southwest of the palace, on a less elevated piece of ground, the site completely disappeared beneath a six-meter heap of stones, covering a more or less circular area of about 20 acres. The heap made me think of a tower dominating the view to the southwest. This is his perception of what was going on here as he was doing the dig. Until most of the other remains were found... Almost at the surface of the soil, it was difficult to perceive the transport of that heap of stones would reward our effort. But during the previous work, one characteristic attracted our attention. All heaps of stones cover over the intact ancient remains, with an average of 80 to 100 men, lasting one long month. We were relentless to transport the stones. Cleared of the rubbish, a 5,000-year-old sanctuary associated with a citadel offered itself to our eyes with its set of religious furniture scattered on the ground. And this was um, in the place that they were doing the dig. So where a lot of the other heaps of stones were, there were a lot of men under all of these stones. It says 80 to 100. But on this one heap of stones, there were religious artifacts and one person under that one mound of stones. Mm -hmm. Which, as you read the rest of the article, is where... Joshua describes at the after the entrance or throws body out at the entrance of the city gate. It's right where the Bible tells you that it is. So it's like, okay, is it possible that that's not the king of I? Yeah, it is possible, but is it reasonable that it's not him? I don't know. I would I would wager to say that it's probably him. Is it possible that it's not? Yes. Is it possible that it is? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really really cool that we that. As I read that, I'm like, to this day, okay, I'm going to do some research on it. Is it actually still there? It is. It's crazy. It's really crazy. Now, will it still be there in 5,000 years? 10, Probably not because we uncovered it. Yeah, I know. So I, I, I don't know. But regardless, it's really cool that it was there. 
And there's literally like a picture. Hold on, I'm going to show you guys. And we should post this too. Um, here is the picture of the heap of stones. Oh, wow. That they actually like uncovered. Oh, that's like huge. Yeah. It said 20 acres, didn't it? Um, circular area that's a quarry, yeah. man. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Imagine moving that many stones. Well, the thing is, they didn't really have dirt. Like, you've heard Pastor Nick talk about it. Yeah. Dirt, so, like, they couldn't really bury people. You just had to stack stuff on top. Yeah. Stack stuff on top. You couldn't dig down. Yeah. You just had to pile up. <laughs> it's pretty cool regardless, but, like, they, they took over I. They threw the dude out of the city. They covered him with stones. That, in and of itself, tells me that this account is somewhat true. Because if we can backtrack... So, okay, the Israelites took over Ai, and then this is what they did with the king of Ai. Okay, now we found the king of Ai. Then, if we cross-reference all those pieces together and put all these puzzle pieces together, that, to me, gives a lot of credibility to this story. And if this story is credible, and the walls of Jericho in, the, in Rahab's house not burning down inside of Jericho can point to all of these missing pieces... We can't prove that this was an act of God, but it is definitely reasonable that based off of all these accounts and based off the archaeological evidence that we have in place now, this the account that we have in the Bible seems like it's pretty legit. And if the account that we have in the Bible proves all of these archaeological studies, then mm-hmm. how did all of that stuff happen? How did the walls fall down? How is it that the barley is burnt? Any other reasonable group of people that went in there would burn the entire city down but they would take all of the the plunder and the gold and the silver and everything out first yeah so you tie all these pieces together and it's like wow maybe there really was something that was provoking something that was giving these people the power to do the things that they did what was it i can't come up with any better answer other than the things inside of this book are true (laughs) and if the things inside of this book are true then i don't want to put myself do I want to be on the Egyptian side or do I want to be on the Israelite side? And I want to side myself with a God that is true and can overcome evil and take down cities and part seas. That's that's who I want to be on my side. So I'm going to follow what this book tells me to do. Mm-hmm. You know. All right. So to really, that's a really good way to put that because yeah, I like that's that. Gone. Yeah, that's really um, good. We're gonna we're gonna leave that there. Sure. And we're yeah. gonna we're gonna cut this into two episodes. We're gonna go to the next episode now. Um, stay tuned for Joshua Part Two, where we start at Chapter Nine. All right. Well, this has been Common Chaos Podcast, Episode Seventy Four. Thomas, what do they do? Go check out the website. We have apparel on there. Um, order some. Order lots. We will get it to you as soon as we can. It's made to order, so bear with us on lead times. Um, but it's usually within a few weeks, a week or two, yeah. depending on shipping and interruptions. So check that stuff out. Um, thank you guys for listening. Thanks for hanging with us. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks for listening. See you next time. We made it. Bye.